Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be in the second half of uh, that chapter. Um, my name is Ben. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here, and I love that you're here, and I love getting to worship with you. It is one of my favorite things uh, we do. Um, while you're flipping there, um, when I, I got a story. When I uh, showed up in Fort Worth, my wife and I moved uh, to Fort Worth, and I actually started working at Christ Chapel, um, and this was, a, this was a while back. I was in my, like, mid-20s. And there were these older guys, maybe like 10 years older than me, maybe in their like mid-30s or whatever. And they were just guys that I just looked up to a ton. I just crazy respected them. And, um, and they were guys who loved Jesus like crazy. And they weren't pastors even. I think maybe one of them was. But it was just this group of men. And they were entrepreneurs and dads and businessmen and husbands who just loved God. And their life just showed it in some really, really cool ways. And I think at the time I was like 26 or 27. And I just remember seeing their faith and watching them live out their faith. And and again, they weren't even vocationally pastors. And I remember thinking, man, look how their walk with the Lord, their belief in who God is and who Christ is, their personal relationship with Christ just impacted everything they did, how they ran their businesses and how they led their families and, and, and what they did in their spare time and how they spent their resources. And I remember being like, man, I want to I be like those guys. And so I started just being the weird guy that would kind of hover around them and, and try to fit myself into their community. And it turns out, I found out that these guys, this group of men, they would go to Tajikistan uh, about once a year. And Tajikistan is this country that's buried in the middle of the stands. So it's Afghanistan and Turkmenistan and Dagestan. And then there's China on one edge. And it's this little landlocked country, Muslim country, closed to missionaries and to evangelism and to churches. Um, This little locked-in country at the foothills of the Himalayas. And these guys just hardcore loved Jesus, and they would go, and they would go into Tajikistan and get in these, you know, connections they had, old uh, land rovers, and drive them as far into the mountains, the foothills of the Himalayas as they could, get out, put on packs, and just hike into the mountains and find these villages that didn't know the gospel, didn't know who Jesus was, didn't know the hope that we have in Christ. And they would, you know, meet these villagers and love these villagers and share Christ with these villagers and try to model uh, what it looked like to, you know, just serve the way that Jesus served. And so these guys, I was just like, man, I want to be like those guys. And so I was like, hey, man, can I go to Tajikistan with y'all? And they're like, yeah, man, that'd be great. So they were very kind, inclusive. It's about $15,000 uh, to go, which at that time was like half of my annual salary. So I was like, cool, cool, cool. So $15,000, and then you just got to be ready. And so started praying and preparing, and, and a part of being physically ready, and again, this was in my, this is before I had kids, so this is back when I was in shape. We would, at 6 o'clock in the morning, show up at TCU at the stadium, and these guys would get hiking backpacks, and they would fill them with books, and they would do stadiums. So they would run up and down the steps, and this was before the renovation, so there were slightly fewer steps. But we would get up there at 6 a.m. and run up and down every step in uh, TCU Stadium. 
which was a beating because when they got into the country and they were hiking and they were trying to make it to that next village in the mountains, um, they didn't want to be held back. They wanted to make sure that they were ready, um, not only with, the, with their words of how to share the gospel, but with their legs and their feet and their endurance and all of those things. And so these are guys I got to just train with and watch and, and see them live out what they believed, the expense that they would take, the cost, the sacrifice, because they knew this Jesus. And I wanted to know Jesus the way they did, and I wanted to know Jesus in the way they did that made me want to share it like that. And it really was transformational for me as a 26, 27-year-old to see that kind of passion. Um, and, and it's because of their faith, right? And that's what this chapter is about. It is about how do we stir our faith? How do we get inspired in our faith to say, man, let's go, because faith drives action. What I believe will drive action, right? It, it will drive my purpose. Even in verse 6 of chapter 11, we see that faith is how I please God. And so I live my life in faith, and that should drive action. It should drive purpose. And at the end of the day, that's also how I please my God, that he says, man, Penn, you believe, and you're putting one foot in front of the other and chasing after me and, and walking in obedience, that's what chapter 11 is about. How do we do that? What does that look like? And be inspired to do that. Before we jump into, I'm going to give you the context and I need to review quickly. <clears throat> Remember the context of the book of Hebrews. If you're, if you're new with us, we've been in this book since the beginning of the fall semester. And the context for the book of Hebrews is uh, this. It's written to Hebrew people who were Jewish people who now are following Jesus. Right? They're no longer following the old ways and the old system of Judaism. They now say, man, that Savior that we were waiting for has come in the person of Jesus. And so they're Jews, they're Hebrews, use those words interchangeably, and they're following Jesus. But they are incredibly discouraging, in discouraged because following Jesus is hard. And they don't look like other people, and their lifestyle is different now, and they can't do the things that other people around them are doing. And so all of a sudden there is now this set-apartness to the way they're living their life. And it's awkward, and it's difficult, and there's persecution. And so it's all of these people who are living in a world, stop me if this sounds familiar, living in a world that is not prioritizing Jesus or how he would live. And they're trying to live for Jesus, and that makes them look really different. And it makes some interactions really awkward, and it makes for some persecution that's going to happen, and it makes for some difficult living to say, I'm going to follow Jesus even when no one else seems like they are. This book is written to them to say, hold on. Hold on. Have faith. And so chapter 11 is the faith chapter, right? Some people refer to it as the hall of faith. Uh, we see that, that idea of faith defined in verse 1. That faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we talked about that last week, that this definition isn't like a theological, technical definition of faith. It really is a definition uh, that shows what the work of faith should do in your life. That, man, if you're really walking in faith, then there should be a confidence right? There's an assurance, there's a conviction, there's a confidence, there's action involved, right? If there's a conviction in my life, well, then there should be an action attached to that, right? If I'm at a restaurant and I see and I am convinced and convicted that somebody is choking, that should produce an action in me if I know the Heimlich to say, okay, this person needs me and no one else is helping, I'm going to step into it, right? So what I believe, my faith is going to drive action, conviction, it's going to drive resting, 
my ability to rest and not be anxious is tied to really what I believe. And here's what's super important. It's not just having faith generally. It's having faith in a very specific thing because the object of our faith makes all the difference in the world. Right, like what you're putting your faith in is, is makes all the difference. It's not just that you're a positive thinking person who just says, well, I'm just gonna think positive. It's what are you putting your faith in? Let me illustrate it like this. Let's say, anybody here from Minnesota? Zach, okay, we got at least, okay, good, some Minnesota people. Okay, so lakes freeze in Minnesota. That's a thing, right? Give me a month where the lake is totally frozen and you could walk out on it and it'd be great. February, good, that makes sense. Okay, so February, so we're hanging out. I'm hanging out with Zach in Minnesota in February and I walk and we go to a lake and Zach's like, hey, I'm from Minnesota, let's go walk across this lake. It's a way shorter path. Rather than go around the lake, let's just walk across. And me being from Texas, I'm like, that's crazy. We're gonna fall through and freeze and die. He would know better, right? He would say, no, no, no. No, no, it's solid ice. February, Minnesota, this lake, we're good. We're going to walk across, no problem. Sure enough, crunch the snow, crunch the snow. Oh, yeah, this is great. I'm real timid at first, but by the end of, by the end of it, you know, I'm skipping across a lake. Now let's say we go back during spring, right? Maybe early spring. And all of a sudden, we get back to that spot, and Zach and I are like, okay, let's, let's get to the other side of the lake. And I'm like, oh, yeah, shortcut, the shortcut we took last time. He's like, no, 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 it's, it's spring. You don't walk across it. But no, I still see there's still some ice on it. No, I, it's cool. We've done it before. No, not anymore. The object of my faith really matters. It's not just that I believe. If I was like, well, I've done it before, and I believe I can walk across this water because I did it in February, that would be foolish, right? I wouldn't be taking into consideration, wait, the object of my faith isn't actually valid now here in you know, April or whenever it is. So what we put our faith in, what you put your faith in is huge. And so make no mistake, we talked last week, we're going to talk a lot this week about this idea of faith, the object of our faith, what we're saying we believe and we trust and we build confidence and assurance and conviction is Jesus Christ, the God of Scripture who has shown up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. That's the person that is the focus of our faith. That is who we believe is better. That is where we think we find hope. That is what drives my action, is this person and work of Jesus Christ. He did what he said he was going to do. He died for the sins of the world and he rose again. We absolutely believe that. I absolutely believe that with all of my life. And my life now is how can I deepen my belief that that's not just a box that I've checked. If we gave you guys quizzes, probably the majority, not all of you, because I know some of you are still asking good questions. You're still checking the ice. You're still investigating. You're not just going to drink the Kool-Aid because everyone else did. And I appreciate that. I think that's thoughtful. I respect that. Right? But you're still investigating Jesus and, and poking the ice good. I think that's going to give you a deeper, stronger faith than a lot of people who maybe never really thought to question, and they just grew up in the church. So I'm affirming that, but as you test it, know that this is what you're testing. Is Jesus who he said he was? Did he, do we really believe this? And we do, and that faith drives everything else. The Jesus of scripture, not the Jesus that I want, who I'm comfortable with, the Jesus revealed through scripture is what we believe. And so what's going to happen in chapter 11, and we started it last week, is going to lay out all these examples. And so it's going to say, okay, now what are some great examples of faith? We've defined it. 
We've seen the importance of it. And then what happens in this chapter is our author is like, man, this guy's a stud. That girl's a stud. She's a legend. He's a legend. Look at these, look at this hall of faith throughout time. And so first half examples, I'm just going to give you a 30 second overview. So last week we kind of covered the first half of Hebrews. We camped out on three big legends. They were Noah. Noah built an ark when he couldn't even see the rain coming yet. The faith of Noah that's talked about in the first half of of chapter 11, it wasn't even raining yet, and he's building a massive boat in the middle of a dry valley. That's faith. Abraham left everything to go and find God's land for him, this new place, this new land geographically, but also a new people group that he was going to start eventually becoming the Israelites. Abraham is the father of faith who became the father of the Jewish people, and he left and he chased after God. Sarah, his wife, who was promised to have a child way after she had any business having children. All of these things we saw were these people who were waiting for these promises, and we saw last week that Jesus is worth waiting for, right? That, that Jesus was worth waiting for. That even these promises that he had given us or them, and we're sitting there saying, okay, well, I know one day it's going to be better. One day it's going to work out. One day this is that he is worth waiting for. And so our author is saying, look at these people. And they never even really got fully their result, which we're going to talk a little bit more about um, today. Jesus was worth waiting for. And so now we're going to look at the second half of the book and some examples of just these legends of faith. And for the sake of time, because there's a ton of them, I'm going to zoom in on three. Okay, and so if you, if you study this chapter, there's just a lot of great examples in here that they'll list off. But for the sake of time, I want you to see there's a pattern, right? The author is doing something very intentional. And he will even say, and we'll get to this at the end, he'll even say, man, I wish I had time. Like, we can't even talk about all of them. And he's just going to, like, bullet point. There's this guy and that guy and this guy and this guy. And so we're going to zoom in on three, and I want to I show you kind of where their faith is. And by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm hoping it gets applied to our hearts. Verse 17 through 19. Look at, look at this one. And we've seen him already show up once, but this is kind of a different version of Abraham's faith. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Let me unpack that story. So in Genesis 22 is what this is a reference to. Abraham is promised to be the the father of many nations. He's going to have this heritage, this family tree that spawns and eventually has so many branches, it's more than the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on on a beach. But he doesn't have any kids. Finally, he has a kid. It's Isaac, right? Through his wife, Sarah, they finally have one kid, and it's this boy, Isaac. Isaac was the fulfillment of this really important promise that God gave. This thing that Abraham had been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for. God, give me a son. Give me a son. Give me a son. I thought I was going to be the father of nations. I don't even have any kids. Finally, he has Isaac. And God even confirms, it's Isaac. There's not going to be other kids. It's Isaac. Isaac is the one. And then in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham, hey, I want you to take your son, your first and only begotten son, stop me if this sounds familiar, and I want you to sacrifice him. And so Abraham says, okay, 
this guy who had been waiting his entire life for the fulfillment of God's promise to have this son, now God is saying, I want you to go sacrifice him, which we could spend a whole talk on, wow, how bizarre and weird, and that makes me uncomfortable, right? It makes me uncomfortable that God would do that, and yet then God stopped that sacrifice, saw Abraham's faith, saw that Abraham was willing, saw that Abraham took Isaac. When he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, and God and the angel, God sent an angel and said, stop. I see your faithfulness. I see that you're willing. And ultimately, I see that you care more about following me than you do about the promises that I'm giving you. And that's huge. And obviously, that's a foreshadowing of our God didn't withhold that, that our God did give up his only begotten son for us. And so it's this really beautiful picture. And so we, we see uh, this idea that, man, he, um, he wanted God over the things that God could give him. That's what Abraham's faith did. Abraham's faith said, I want God over just the things that God could give me. Do you see how crazy powerful that is? I mean, to have that faith, to say, man, God has given me this thing, and it's good, and it's, it's sweet, and it's, it's in his will, and yet I want him and obedience to him more than this thing. That's why Abraham's in the hall of faith, right? That's why he's this example to us. That's why he's this legend. But I think there's something for us there. Do you want the things that God can give you, or do you want God? Do you want the things that God can do for you, or do you want him? Abraham said, man, okay, whatever you want. I just want you, and I trust you. And if I end up losing my son, I believe that you can raise him from the dead, is what Abraham's logic was. I believe you. I trust you. That's how deep his faith was. Do I want the things that God can give me, the promises, the good things that he can give me, or do I want him? Look, look at this other um, example of faith. Verse 22, and there's several here listed in, in that section. Um, talks about Moses, talks about um, the Israelites, but verse 22, I love this one. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then in verse 22, we zoom in to Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, um, Jacob, and so Jacob would have been the grandson of Abraham, and, and look what um, happens. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Kind of a weird verse buried there in 22. It, it, it kind of buried in this hall of faith, like you know what Noah did, he had the big boat, and Abraham had all the people, and Moses and his staff, and the Red Sea, and all that stuff. But, but Joseph is kind of weird at the end of his life, he says this thing about his bones. Let me explain. Joseph um, became... Uh, a, a guy who was exiled, forgotten by his family, uh, his brothers, you know, threw him away functionally. He spent time in jail. All of this crazy story in his life that eventually led him to be the right-hand man of Pharaoh in Egypt. And God really spoke through Joseph and gave Joseph all of this favor and, and really was it allowed him to even interpret dreams so that the land of Egypt would be crazy blessed through this really, really dark uh, famine in this dark season. So Joseph becomes like the number two in Egypt. And because of that, because he's the number two guy in all of Egypt, um, when all of the rest of the, the region and the land is just destitute, Joseph's brothers 
come back and the tribes of Joseph's brothers, the other Israelites, right, the kids of Israel, they come back. And because of Joseph, they have favor and they're welcomed into Egypt. And they've got their own sweet little setup in Egypt. And so what happens whenever the Israelites come into Egypt is actually a really, really good thing that happens. Like, it's awesome. They're living the best life, and they're shepherds, and the Egyptians are cool with them. And so Joseph continues to reign and and lead, and he sees his people, the Israelites, prosper under the leadership of Israel. I mean, under the leadership of Egypt. Everybody's getting along. It's sweet. It's awesome. But then at the end of his life, right before he dies, he says this thing, and he says, hey, it's not always going to be like this, right? It's not always going to be like this. Um, we know that we're called to be in this promised land. And now all the Israelites, because there's a massive famine, they're all living large here in Egypt where everything's nice and sweet and, and comfortable. But we're eventually going to Exodus. We're eventually going to leave this place. And when you do, you better take my bones. That's what he's saying. You better take my bones. Don't bury me in the ground here in Egypt. Eventually, we are a part of a bigger story and we belong out there in a land and God's gonna finish what he started in us. This is just the beginning. And so he says this thing at the end of his life. And so sure enough, they take his bones when he dies and they put him in a coffin and they keep it out there for everyone to see. 300 years before the Exodus happens, Joseph Bones are sitting in a box preaching a sermon for 300 years that there is a bigger story that God is telling. Right, and in, in, in he's saying this even when things are really sweet, that he's saying, hey, it's not always going to be like this. Remember what God said. Remember that there's a bigger story. Remember that this isn't just about now and us and our life and the comfort. Because right now, this generation, we're living large. But we know that God is telling a bigger story, and it's not just about us. And it's not just about our generation. And Joseph had that kind of faith. And he said, keep my bones in a box. And one day when you are called out of here, because 300 years later, things are no longer good. Things are awful and they're horrible and the Israelites are no longer just living large in Egypt. They're slaves and that's when Moses comes in and gets everyone out of there, right? He knew that and he said there's a bigger story at at hand. And that really is the faith, right? That, That Joseph, he believed God was telling a bigger story. Do we, right? Do we, have we lost perspective that God is doing something so much bigger than just where we're at right now, the season you're at right now. And every season you, you will live in, at least this is my experience, every season I've been in, it feels like this is the crucial season, right? This is the crucial season as a college student. This is the crucial season now beginning my career, crucial season beginning my family, crucial season with, you know, I've got, I've got young kids and they're in this crucial season in my, my career and there's got... And, And instead, Joseph and and us were called to say, man, God, what are you doing? Beyond us, beyond my world, beyond my comforts, that I have one eye fixed to, God, what are you doing eternally? What are you doing um, throughout my life and throughout our life? Crazy faith, though. Crazy faith that he stands there when things are so sweet and says, it's not going to be like this always. Take my bones with, with you when they get bad. Last example we're going to zoom into, and then I'm going to kind of paraphrase uh, the, the very end of this chapter because I don't want you to miss it. Um, but the last person we're going to zoom in is actually Moses. And so look with me, verses 23 through 27, and we'll put them up there if that's easier for you. By faith, Moses, 
when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That is faith. Moses was born in a time where Pharaoh wasn't happy and was killing babies, felt threatened. Felt threatened by prophecies and was killing babies. And so uh, by faith, Moses' parents saved him. And he was actually raised under the umbrella, under the house of Pharaoh's daughter. So he ends up becoming the grandson of the Pharaoh, living in comfort, living, having access to all of the things in the, in the palace in Egypt. I mean, he had everything. He had access to all of the um, delights that you would want in life. And he leaves them. He says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He said, man, I'm an Israelite. I know I, I, I kind of got snuck into Pharaoh's house when I was a baby to protect my life, but I'm an Israelite, and that means I'm a slave, and that means I'm disrespected, and that means I don't fit in. But I'm going to choose the treasures of Christ over the fleeting pleasure of sin. God, that's faith. Dude, I want that so bad. I want that for you. I want that for me. Listen to this. He wanted, Moses wanted his identity to be found in God more than a lifestyle of comfort. I mean, Moses was so set on saying, man, I want my identity, who I am as an Israelite, as one of God's people, Israelites, even though that was going to come with persecution and slave labor and awkwardness, I am going to choose my identity in God over all of the pleasures. Anything I want. I'm in the palace. I'm the grandson of Pharaoh. I could do whatever I want, have whatever I want, partake in whatever I want. And he said, no, I want the treasures of Christ over the fleeting pleasures of sin that won't last that is faith. Do you want that, man? Do I want that? Do I want my identity to be more found in God than what I can find elsewhere? You guys are in a world, man, where your identity is being shaped and pulled by so many different people. So many different suggestions thrown at you. So many fleeting comforts and things that are available to you right now in college. That would say, man, just enjoy what's in front of you. This is college. Just sow your wild oats. Get it out of your system. All of these lies that are fleeting, that won't last. And then the faith to say, I want to be identified by being his. But that's going to be awkward. That's going to be persecution. That's going to be hard and difficult. And yes, and yet he believes it's worth it. They believe it's worth it. This book says it's worth it. I believe it's worth it. I want to believe more. I want the shallow parts of the action or lack of action in my life to deepen so those areas would go deeper in my life. I want that for you too. 
let me show you how the, the book ends, beca- or the chapter, excuse me, ends in chapter 11, uh, because you're going to see the author's like, man, there's 20 other stories I could have told, but for the sake of time, even he's saying, we well, can't talk about all of them, but, but just look what he does. And what more shall I say, he says in verse 32. So verse 32 through the end of the chapter, he says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephath of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy of those men and women, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. There's a ton there. If anybody ever tells you or you're at a church somewhere or you start to even just in your own gut say, man, following Jesus is going to make things easier for me or they're preaching a gospel to you that's like, man, follow Jesus and be a Christian and God's going to make things more comfortable for me. There's this thing called the prosperity gospel and it's a false gospel out there and it's a term that theologians um, and, and church leaders use sometimes that would say, man, the gospel, if you believe it, God will bless you and give you more money and make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. So follow Jesus so that your life can be sprinkled with, with good stuff. Dude, go read Hebrews chapter 11. These guys followed Jesus. They followed God. They made their identity. They believed, and it was hard. Following Jesus isn't easy. No one, no one biblically claims that following Jesus is easy, but what they claim is that it is absolutely worth it. It's absolutely worth it, and yes, it's hard, and it's difficult, but it is the most worthwhile thing you could do with your life. In your 20s, it is the most impactful, sweetest, worth it thing you could spend your life doing, following Jesus, digging deep your faith so you might know him and walk with him. Jesus is worth enduring for. That's what we see in the second half of of that chapter. That all of these people who are doing all these hard things, getting sawn into and getting persecuted, and, and some of them don't even get to see in their current life, they don't get to see the, the fruit of their faith. Right? They don't get a big house or a great wife or whatever. They just got persecuted. But Jesus is worth enduring for. That's what this book is trying to teach us, trying to build our faith, trying to encourage and challenge us. He is worth enduring for. How do we endure? How do we hold on? How do we not be swayed into just doing what is comfortable? We have faith. Let me walk you through real quickly something as I've been just thinking about you guys and praying for you guys a ton, um, thinking about, man, what is faith and what is not faith? 
because um, if we get that off, if our trajectory is off of what faith is and, and we walk out of here, or we take scripture and we're off by a little bit um, and we kind of misinterpreted or misapplied it, um, then we could end up in the weeds. And so I want to give you three um, kind of versions of what faith is not and what faith is. Um, here's some just guardrails. Faith is not blindly affirming Christianity for the hope of blessing and favor. And these are all guardrails we see in the, the stories of chapter 11. But faith is not blindly affirming Christianity for the hope of blessing and favor. Meaning, I'm a Christian because it's honestly kind of the popular thing to do or the cool thing to do. Certainly, even this room. I mean, there's five to 600 college students that show up in this room and worship. And, and there's community here. And a bunch of people are going on a mission trip. And there's going to be 100 of us in Belize hanging out. There's some sweet, cool things where it'd be easy to be like, you know what? I kind of want to be a Christian because these people aren't that bad and awkward. And Okay, there's cool community here. That's not what faith is, though. It's not just blindly affirming, yes, I agree with Jesus because that's what my parents said or my grandparents said or it's actually in my social circle actually the more popular thing to do. That's not what faith is. Or I follow Jesus and then I hope he's going to, you know, bless me because I'm doing it. Faith is, though, confidence in a God you can't fully see. Right? It is confidence in a God that I can't fully see yet. And it's saying, Lord, I don't know where you're going, um, and this is hard, and this isn't just because everyone told me I should believe this. I really investigated, and, and now I really am confident in this God that even Hebrews 11 says is invisible, but I, I see the effects, and I know you are there. Um, personal story for me. So as a pastor, high school reunions are hilarious for me because I go to high school reunions, um, and, and when I go to high school reunions, I got just some of the coolest guys, and they're fun, but it's like they've got these careers, and they're making money, and they're like, hey, Ben, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. Does that pay good? No. And they're like, okay, cool. Um, and they've got, you know, stuff and a kingdom that they're building and just neat stuff, and I really am happy. I'm not, I'm not jealous or sad. I love what I get to do. I love what I get to spend my life doing. And they're like, yeah, man, I just got a Tesla. And I'm like, sweet, man, I've got a bungee cord literally holding my bumper on my car right now. Like, literally, I got a red bungee cord. Man, that's great. If you got a Tesla, good, go for it. I'm going to pick the bumper with the bungee cord right now because of what I get to do. Because, because God, would you please keep giving me a faith that says, Lord, I, don't, I trust you. I don't want to build what I can see. I have confidence in a God that I can't fully see yet but I want to spend my life pouring into the things that are eternal. Not just me. I mean, everyone on my staff. I can start listing names. Everyone up here and, and down there and people who have given their lives away to say, man, I want to see eternal fruit. I want to see seeds planted in the lives of college students. It's why we do what we do. It's why we drive with bungee cords on our bumpers because it's like, man, that's worth it. That's worth it. Confidence in a God you can't fully see yet. Can you get there? Can you grow in that? Something else faith is not. Faith is not positive self-talk to make yourself feel happier, less anxious. I think I slip into this sometimes too. I think I fall into this category where it's like, oh man, faith is just, you know what? God's got me. It's going to be okay. I'm going to pass that test because God is good. I'm like, ah, I'm not sure that that's how God works. Um, or I'm just gonna I'm just gonna believe so that I, I'm less anxious. I'm really anxious, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have positive self-talk. And God is just kind of this ethereal, um, ethereal self-talk pep rally. 
And that's not what real faith is, but faith is resting in promises that you realize you may never see on this side of eternity. Right? Resting in promises. It's not just like, okay, everything's going to be fine because God's good and he's not going to let hard things and bad things happen. No, no, no. It's resting. That yeah, there's freedom from, from certain anxieties, not because God's got it all good, but because I can trust his promises. And they might be things I don't see on this side of eternity. Real personally for us, man, Danielle and I, we had two miscarriages before we had our boys. And after losing our second baby, right, we had, th- we had this pregnancy, and we, we named her, and we celebrated it and put it on social media. And when we lost that second baby, um, we, we just thought, man, we may never have kids. We may never have biological kids. That may just never be. And we really had to wrestle with this idea of, do we still trust God? Is he still good is he still good as, a, as a, all that we wanted was to be a mom and a dad, and is he still good? And I had to get to a place where, praise God, we ended up having kids, but we got to a place before we had kids to say, Lord, we believe you're good. Your promises are good. We may never see what we want to see, but we trust you. What's that look like for you? Resting in promises that you don't know. Man, for the girls in here, God, I know so many godly girls through college who just didn't compromise and they just said I'm going to be a godly girl I'm going to wait for a godly guy and I know a lot of godly women who are now in their mid-30s and they're saying what the heck why didn't God bring the guy I didn't compromise I didn't settle I pursued him I knew my worth why do I not have the godly husband and I walk with some of those women in their 30s and I just am blown away by their faith because they say and he's still good and he's still worth it And I also see a lot of marriages crumble because they said, man, I'm willing to settle and I'll compromise and I don't don't want to be 35 and still single. Man, do we rest in promises that we can't even see yet and might not see. Is he still good? And the last thing that faith is not and faith is is this. At least that we kind of see in this text, this kind of boundary, guardrail. Faith is not doing moral things to earn credits with an afterlife judge. That's not what faith is. Faith is not, I'm going to do a lot of good things so that then when I get to the afterlife judge, I got enough tickets to cash in for the prize. That's not, that's not what we're doing. That's nowhere in what we've signed up for. We, are, we talked about a lot last week. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, not of the good moral things we do. They're, they're really filthy rags is what Paul calls them. That's not what faith is. Faith isn't doing a lot of good things to earn something. Faith is living your life in a relationship with an almighty yet personal God. That's what what faith looks like. It's not doing things for God. It is almighty God who is personal. So I meet with God. I wake up on Sunday mornings, at least when I preach, I get to this building at an um, uncomfortably early hour, um, and, and, and for lots of different reasons. But one of them is because I love to sit in the dark in this room before anyone else is in here and pray. Because I know this thing, wh- however effective, whatever God does in this room at this time and the 11 and the 8.30 at night isn't going to be because of me or our talented musicians or the vibe in the room. It's going to be because of the Holy Spirit. And so I get here and pray and say, God, I am not adequate to do what I'm asking you to do. And so, God, would you move in the lives of these students? Would you move in the lives of my brothers and sisters in this room? Would you move in the lives and the hearts of people who don't know you and don't know how worth it you are? 
and I get to meet with God, and I get to sit there with him, and I get to wake up before my kids wake up, because when my kids wake up, it's game over, and I get to meet with him, and I'm not earning anything. That doesn't make me a good Christian. It doesn't give me godly points that I can cash in one day. I get to meet with him. It's I have this relationship, right? I have a relationship with an almighty yet personal God. And that is this beautiful, beautiful thing. That's what faith is. A relationship. I don't spend time with Jesus to earn something. I spend time with Jesus because I want to know him more and I need to know him more. And I forget and I'm shallow and sinful and broken in areas. So God, would you show me? All of this is faith. So we've got to stay focused. We've got to keep our eyes on him. Let me close with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, because of all these things, because of this faith, listen, therefore, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. People are watching us. So stay focused. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Look to Jesus the founder, the perfecter. He's the perfecter of your faith, not you. The founder and the perfecter of our faith. Let's look to him who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, we need you. God, you endured the cross for us. You went to the cross for the joy that was set before you. You went to the cross for us, God, and we're grateful. God, would you deepen our faith? Would we see what true faith is? Would we walk out of here encouraged by these stories of faith? Um, But would we walk out of here challenged also to say, Lord, what are some of the things that I need to lay down? What are some of the things I need to reprioritize? What are some of the ways I might need to change my perspective of faith so I might know you more. We get you. So God, would we throw off everything, God? Would we throw off everything that slows us down and entangles us because you're worth us, worth it? Help our hearts believe that you are worth it. And all of those things, God, you bring those convictions. I don't need to give a list of things that slow us down, God your spirit will bring conviction to us of those things and then give us the faith to say you're better than those things. So even now as we go back into worship, show us what are the things that so easily entangle us and let us go and let us set them at your gracious, gracious feet and watch you set us free from them. Watch you draw us to you. Watch you trade the things that we pursue that are fleeting for something that is worth it and valuable and eternal. God, would you do this work in the name of Jesus? Amen.